All right, today we're going to continue the series in light of eternity um, to let you guys get an inside peek and vulnerability to me. There was about four hours yesterday where I mentally decided to stop being a parent. So, it was only four. I truly, I truly was at the edge of just walking away from it all and asking Adriana to meet me somewhere. So, everything that I'm talking about is in theory rather than in practice, let's say. Uh, we're going to be talking about misunderstood meaning. And there's going to be three or four, well, basically three different areas we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about minutes, we're going to be talking about moments, we're going to be talking about meaning. A lot of the stuff we're going to be discussing today, a guy I like to listen to, again, not on the political spectrum necessarily, but on the philosophical spectrum, a guy named Jordan Peterson. Really encourage you guys to pick up his stuff. He has a book called 12, 12, uh, I hope everything's all right. So, oh, okay, okay, good. Thank you. Love you guys. Um, yeah, anytime that somebody takes a phone and walks out, I get my heart palpitates. That's just the dad in me, right? You're like, what's wrong? Who died? How is everything going to make itself okay? Uh, so 12, 12 Rules for Life. It's a great book. I've been listening to it. So there's going to be some stuff I will say that from this, if you listen to the book, you'll understand kind of his concepts and thoughts about this. Back to Wayne's sharing last week. Back to Ryan sharing this week talking about going and engaging. We're going to be kind of understanding what that looks like today. Back to Wayne's airport story. Just because you got a stamp in your passport, hanging out in the airport is not the purpose for getting your passport tagged. It's actually going out and engaging the culture, eating with the people, connecting, and how much more so in our faith, our life of faith, and what that means for us to not just be saved, but to go. I think one of the more important things that we take away as we start this is you can't change yourself. Just a fresh reiteration to you that you don't have the capacity within yourself to well up enough passion to go and make a difference. And anything that we do in our own flesh or in our own strength is of necessity broken and not imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit to affect long-term transformative change. And the beseeching that Jesus asks of the apostles when faced with the harvest was not go therefore into the nations. It wasn't that at that point. It was, therefore what? Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And that's where it comes back to us in this here, this 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 2 says, When he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So the whole context for all of this is not that we lay, lay some fresh burden on ourselves to go. What is asked of us is to see him more clearly because when we see him for who he is, we become transformed into who, into who he is, into who he has created us to be. And therefore, going is not something we do. It's someone that we are. Um, so that's just a challenge to me and encouragement to you. If you walk away saying, gosh, I got to go do. I have to go share. I need to go be. Just a fresh place of saying what my next step is is asking Jesus to reveal himself to me, who he is, and when I see him, I'll be like him, for I'll see him as he truly is. We're going to kind of follow a train of thought process uh, in getting through the minutes and also the moments conversation here in light of eternity. And we were talking last week about everything good? Here you go. Sorry about that. And some other you guys, guys are going to be taken in the next couple of minutes. I'm just not sure who. <laughs> I ask us to do a... Uh, it's a demonstration. We'll show you guys what it means later. Uh, it's planned. It's planned. So, let's talk about time. And I want to hear you guys' thoughts about this. Because when I was... Sharing a couple weeks ago, I told y'all that understanding eternity, that, that freaks me out. There's almost a place where I'd rather just disappear into blackness and not have to deal with what eternal life looks like. And I think that that's a reality of me not understanding, of me having such a finite, fleshy understanding of what time, what eternity means. And so I started doing a little bit more research in what this looks like is, you know, when you think about the New Jerusalem, if you go look at Revelation 21, 
And it talks about God creating a new heaven and a new earth. It says there's not going to be a sun anymore, nor a moon, but Jesus will be the light. And if you go back to the beginning of what is understood as time, literally the beginning of time, that was when God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. He created the sun to guide the day and the moon by the night. And that basically created a clock ticking. The question is kind of how else to put it as I was rolling over it in my head. Is there time in heaven? Is time in heaven measured as like uh, 30 minutes over to, to walk over to Peter and kind of talk with him for about 17 minutes? And then, you know, next half hour, Paul's going to be over at the Acropolis. We're going <laughs> to. Is heaven measured in time? And what does the Bible say about that? Because we know now that there's suddenly not this heaven and this earth and this cycle and this fall, spring, summer. But then it's also eternity and the concept of eternity. What does that mean? And there's actually, um, aeonios is the Greek word for eternity. And it's kind of not completely understood in our English language what that means. And there's a places where easily it's translated into eternity. Because ultimately that's what it means. It means never ending or ever ongoing. But another, another understanding of it, rather than, oh, uh, this time now and that time then is an ever-present state of being. It's not that there's this thing that we go do. It's this place that we are. And it's this ever-present state of being, right where you are, being in that state, never-ending. And I think about that. Um, If it's less about some march of minutes and months and more about just an unending state of being present. The Lord's Prayer says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If heaven is defined by not the march of months and time, but by being present, then we're asking, Hey, that, as it is in heaven, come here. And suddenly I begin to understand this great dichotomy what time is to me and my issues with it. Because by its very nature, time is the reason we have to share the good news, right? Because every man is guaranteed to die once and then the judgment. Time is the very thing that constrains us to need a gospel. Everybody with me on this, right? And yet time is the very thing that keeps me from sharing it. I don't have time is the largest commodity. It's not even money anymore. You guys know this now. The largest commodity that we trade in now is time. And the reason I don't stop and be present is because I what? I don't have time. So literally the reason I need to stop and be present, time, is the reason I don't stop and be present. And heaven on earth it seems, is defining value not by the onward march of time and accomplishment, but by the simple statement of wherever you are, are you present? Are you present? Sorry, I'll say this a couple of times in this statement today. Jordan Peterson says, of far more value than thinking highly is paying attention of far more value than thinking well and thinking deeply. What's more valuable than that is actually paying attention because thinking keeps our capacities within our own limited scope and sphere of capability to understand and comprehend. And while that's good, he says paying attention is exponentially better because every single time we pay attention, we absorb the reality of circumstance around us and allow it to shape our present state of being. And I think the thing is this. I want to ask you guys your thoughts about this. Man, when it comes to ministry, we often view it in the temporal. Well, I'll go spend this much time do this and that, 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 that. And it's all categorized and hierarchized. And what Ryan is saying, it's not a program. It's being present. It's as you go, are you paying attention? This is not just you guys. Are you paying? James, are you paying attention? You're coming across people that I'm asking you, because of time, you need to stop thinking about time altogether. 
Because by definition, time will probably disallow you from ever engaging this person again. Therefore, suddenly at that moment that time dictates that eternity is upon us, throw off the restraints of time altogether and allow that moment to become the purpose of God revealed. His kingdom come, his will be done. And man, that loss of time, every single time I face ministry, it's not the loss of money, it's the loss of time for me that keeps me from doing it. Why being present is so important. James 4, 13. Listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. First Thessalonians 5, 2 through 8. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying, hey, there's peace, there's security, all of a sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. If you are all children of light, children of the day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. In my mind, that's attentive. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet for salvation. Maybe encapsulated like this. The greatest acknowledgement of the sober reality of time is to forget in that moment that it exists. The greatest acknowledgement of the sober reality, this gravitas of what it means to be constrained by time is to in that moment forget that it exists and engage it for what it is. Two hours 10 hours, it doesn't matter. So I want to hear your thoughts about that. Pushback, feedback, agree, disagree, thoughts. Am I the only one that sits home to? thoughts agree Chris yeah we think about this really linearly mm-hmm. right like you think about well today I'm going to go to church I'm going to listen to James and I'm going to go home and I'm going to consider whether I should be a parent or not for a while you know, James that. told me it's okay not to be four hours was my limit we think about it in that linear way but I, I always keep going back to you are living your eternal life right now right this is part of it is not excerpted from mm-hmm. the eternal life. And God doesn't, we're, we're trying to hold God to the idea of time that we have because of the way he put the universe in place. And that's yeah. not what it is. I mean, we talk about this a lot. When Stacy's father died uh, a few years ago, we talked about this a lot. Like, what's it, what's John going through right now? What I understand, he's standing there face to face in his body because the resurrection happens and we can't hold God to our idea of well when everybody else is gone, right? It, it's this idea of time, I think, really trips us up. And I think we've got to be willing to release it and say we live in this linear time but God doesn't. God is, he always was, he always will be, and that's where we're at. And I don't mm-hmm. claim to get it, yeah. but because I think it's deeper than we are right now, yeah. we're constrained. You know? but in this broken world, we can't have that understanding. Yeah. Like when, when Ryan was talking about the fish, this drives me crazy, man. How did Jonah live in the fish? Yeah. What? It's a keto it. diet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, 
I'm more concerned with what else was in that stomach with him. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's gross, dude. Right. And for three days, I'd be like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Don't spit me out. This is it for me. <laughs> but we're, we're constrained with that understanding of that doesn't work yeah. in our world. But it's not our world. Well, and think, too, of I think that the largest challenge for me is that I have to put off the constraints of time if I want to be, if I want to respond to the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Because he'll ask things of me that I don't feel like giving or feel like I have the ability to give, especially when it comes to time and energy and initiative. Any last thoughts about that? I think that the paying attention part to me is, is critical because you, I miss opportunities to show God's love to people because I'm not paying attention. Because I don't see that at work someone might just be a little off today. Mm-hmm. They might have, you know, there's something going on because I'm not paying attention. Because I'm yeah. walking by and we're doing we're doing business, and I don't, I don't, I'm not paying attention to what's, yeah, what's, what's around the me. reality. Happen, you know, with a preteen girl, that happens on a, like yeah. ten times a day. If you're not paying attention, you can't figure out. And even yeah, as I was about say, that's, that's not necessarily a prerequisite. I've noticed, I've noticed when I'm paying attention, I can usually see some, see what's yeah see the cause and effect of one of one small thing, and I think um, I don't know. I think that's a huge thing for me looking around. Like you said, the evangelism isn't a program. Yeah, it's not that I'm going to serve and volunteer here for an hour and this is when I'm checking my evangelism box it's all around us and you miss the opportunities if you're not paying attention that attention needs to be always focused at that goal right because man fell and God said don't worry I've got you and then how many thousands of years later in our mind thousands of years later but in God's mind we're in the fullness of time Mm -hmm. That's, that's how God's focus is. That's what yeah. God's intention is. It's, I'm going to do this in the right place, the right time, the right moment, yeah. everything for you. And we're focused on, well, wait a minute, what about Noah? Why couldn't you send the Savior then? Right? Why couldn't yeah. you, we had to flood the whole earth? What about Tower of Abel? Why couldn't we do it? You know, and, and our view of time is so different. Yeah. And our view of, but if you live it out, Instead of thinking about the program, I think it comes back to that idea of motive too. Like, why are you doing this? Are you doing it to, because, well, we're part of this church and the focus is evangelism, so we need to do this. Or are we doing it because I'm a disciple and this is what disciples yeah. do? And I think for each of us, it's it's going to flesh itself out differently. Um, I think that you know, for us to say it's it's black and white is foolish I think for me I don't pay attention because it feel I am a deep feeler and I am extremely people oriented and sometimes a lot of times that is just exhausting it's an exhausting nature Mm -hmm. and so sometimes I feel like I have to pull back from paying attention because it's too it feels too much the burden is too much to pay attention to engage engage. cost of engagement and so I feel like I have to set myself on autopilot or I mean I told James one time I'm like I feel like the only time I can give my mind a break is when I sleep I feel like I can't and maybe that's just the nature of the season I'm in as being a mother I can't not think of the weight of some of these decisions and some of just seeing these children grow that I'm like I just I can't I can't turn it off Um, and that's that's not healthy I need to figure that out but I think that for me it's that it's that asking God, okay, I, you know my need. I can't pay attention. I can't be fully engaged all the time because we need a re- we need to rest. I need to rest from it. But give me the grace to know when I need to really pay attention and when I need to turn it off. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's good. Uh, let's keep going. So we talked about. And understanding meaning, we talked about minutes. So let's talk about moments. And uh, 
it's kind of, I started to dive deep into this based on a, a little phrase that he said. Um, he said, basically, that the compounding inertia of little things that happen to us in life shape us far more drastically than the big things. So if we think about it, often when we think of important or vital or valuable seminal moments in life, it was this big happening. And, you know, his background is a clinical psychologist, and so he sees the identities of people being just unveiled as they begin to share, and he realizes it's these consistent every single day moments that have shaped this person's trajectory or their course, mm-hmm. their understanding. So like he, he likens it to a couple of different things. One of the things he said, he had a story of a guy who came in and said, listen, 45 minutes of my day is me fighting with my kid to go to bed. You know, you just think, oh, it's just not that big of a deal. It's just frustrating. It's something I have to do. He did the math with him and he said, hey, listen, in a year, you've spent a month and a half of work weeks fighting with your kid. And if you think it doesn't have consequence, it does. Think about that. Think about you set aside a month and a half full of work days, 40-hour work weeks, just to fight with your kid. And that's basically what you've accomplished in a year. And this reiterative, compounding inertia that you don't see. And because it's not, it didn't happen real big, right? There wasn't a blow-up where we all, you know, screamed. It's this undertow of reality that shapes us continually as we go. Liken it to, even if you just have one thought... When you look in the mirror, one thought a day that says, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, whatever it is, just one. You've heard that message 18,000 times by the time you're 50, right? So there's this reiterate, and, and the studies say that basically when it comes to negative statements as opposed to positive, when it's, when it's not about building teams but about personal worth, it's a 12 to 1 ratio of overcoming a negative comment or thought process versus a positive. So just think about that. The reiterative effect of all these small things, we're going to talk about the power that comes from the spoken word. Because it says, in the Bible it says, the power of life and death is in the tongue. So everything that I'm saying, I want you to remember, this is in context of me just saying what a terrible dad I was yesterday, right? So I told my kids to shut up. I told, I've done everything wrong when it comes to this. That being said, that gives that makes me an authority on. <laughs> um, it reminds me of when I was eight, 17 years old. I just graduated high school and I went to work a summer in Puerto Rico as an electrician's apprentice. And uh, me and my three friends were there. My friend's dad was an electric, uh, electric, electrician down there. And my first job the first day was this floor. And it was about the size of like half this room. And it was a concrete floor. And I said, we need to break this up. And I said, okay. I said, it's your job, and here's a sledgehammer. And it was a 16-pound sledgehammer. Anybody ever swung a 16-pound sledgehammer? Like five times, it's a good workout. 743,000 times, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Chinese labor camp, right? <laughs> so any, anybody have an idea about how to break up a concrete floor with a sledgehammer? All you do is keep hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting with no change in the same spot and it was crazy he said just keep doing it and at one there's going to be one time that you hit it might be number 10 might be number a thousand might be number ten thousand everything shatters because you can't see the cracks that are happening underneath and i promise you if you give up if if, if the number is ten thousand two hundred and fourteen shannon tell me i'm wrong it's ten thousand two hundred and fourteen and you stop at ten thousand two hundred and thirteen you can't see a difference that was made but you hit that last one and suddenly all the fissures that have been bubbling up just and it just cracks all the way through. Now you still have to keep banging on it, but it's the reiterative power of those consistent messages that give us the capacity. I realized I was milking a cat when I was doing that. <laughs> Anybody ever seen Meet the Parents? Yeah, all right, we'll stop it there. Pause the tape and keep rolling. Wow. It's the reiterative power of that consistent Narrative that keeps hitting and hitting and hitting, either for the power to destroy or the power to transform. And I think, especially as dads who are here, but as parents and as people, the power of life 
and death is in the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. James 3, 5, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Luke 6, 45, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we'll just kind of camp on this for a second. When it comes to meaning, not, not meaning, but moments, To reshape this one more time, the seemingly insignificant when compounded daily, weekly, monthly, yearly are so much more effective at shaping us for the positive or the negative than those seminal one-time mountaintop catalytic <laughs> moments. And we have such a, not burden, but allowance given to us one as parents, one as not necessarily peers, but people to whom the world looks to have whole perspectives on life. What we say fundamentally shapes life and death. And we have to realize that it's not just, oh, here's, here's life to you and, and, and here's life to you and there, there's death to you. No, you can't help what comes out of your mouth except that it comes from out of your heart. Out of the overflow of this is what comes out. So the issue is now, now you go choose to speak life to people. It's not it. You can't speak life if you don't got it. And that's where Jesus goes back and he's saying, whereas, I forget what it was, multiple different times, but basically the analogy is, can a, a, a bitter brook give you fresh water? Or a fig tree give you apples? It can't. Out of the overflow of what's happening here, your mouth is going to speak. And if you're not speaking life, that's not now a choice for you to go read a new narrative and therefore life comes out of you. The choice is to go back to beseeching the Lord of the harvest to see him as he truly is. Because when we see him as he is, we will be like him. And out of that place, life comes out of us. I want to hear you guys' thoughts about that. Thoughts before we move on? I just think about trying to create moments for my kids. We were just sent Lana last weekend. They were like total tears. And, <laughs> and they didn't even see each other for a week. And then they got together and it's like, oh my gosh. And so I was trying to do unique things. Like if anybody saw my story with the crazy doll head trail <laughs> thing in Atlanta. I mean, it was awesome. But, you know, I don't appreciate it. Maybe later in life yeah. they will. But anyway, we were at the um, MLK Museum. And Brooks was waiting for me outside the bathroom. And it, it was before we'd gone and looked around at everything. And that's a very powerful thing I recommend highly for anyone to do. But 
he can't, I get out of the bathroom and he goes, what took you so long? I said, I needed some time. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a moment to myself. Right. So I, and so every time I go to the bathroom, I'd be there forever and he'd be waiting for me. <laughs> Not with them. They'd be out and doing right. something. And he was like, what were you doing? And I said, I needed y'all. Yeah. And then I feel bad saying, y'all are driving me nuts. Because right. they're hearing that <laughs> multiple times. Right. But it's like, I had to get away and breathe. Yeah. I was going mm-hmm. to lose it in a minute. And I'm like, what? here we are. We're trying to give you experiences. And we're trying yeah. to. I'm like, and y'all are appreciating it. Like, I'm like, I cannot wait to get on that plane. Which was so sad. I was like, right. oh. I get it. Yeah. So I, you have to have, like said, moment to yourself to mm-hmm. shut it off. And currently mine is in every public restroom. <laughs> 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 Made the local news. They were clean. Don't worry. That's awesome. I think the challenge is truly giving ourselves over to God and looking for His presence in every one of those moments. Right? Yeah. We get selfish. We have agendas. We make decisions based on what feels good to me and what my will is, as opposed to God's will. Right? Yeah, and so, and we lose him in those moments. He's there, but yeah, dang it, yeah, I can't see him because yeah, you're making me angry, or you're not getting along with your brother, yeah, and I don't know how. I mean, that's the challenge for me. Always, yeah. I it's the biggest dichotomy for me is you know my will versus God's will, and yeah. always. Yeah. We forget he's there. Well, I think that what's important to kind of reiterate and encapsulate what you guys were saying, I mean, agree, disagree, paying attention or being present doesn't necessarily mean that you're in ministry mode. Mm -hmm. It means that if you're not in ministry mode, it's actually engaging that moment. If it's just you and God, it's actually choosing to engage what that moment is as opposed to where, where my... And again, I don't think that I 100% agree with my wife. It's not that every single moment needs to be important. Every single moment moment needs to be, you know, some sort of grand purpose behind it. I, I, I fully believe there's times to check out. And even, in fact, what he says, uh, Jordan was saying, hey, the single first thing that you should do if you're facing all these psychological issues, rather than take, he says, go to sleep and make sure you wake up at the same time. Doesn't matter what time you go to sleep, but make sure you're getting enough sleep and you're waking up at the same time every time. He says, that solves about 60% of the mental issues that people have is having a consistent sleep schedule within which circadian rhythms, they wake up at the same time. So there's a place of where it's not going and doing more. It's about whatever you put your hand to, do it. And there's a scripture in that. Whatever, the, whatever God asks you to put your hand to, do it. Give yourself to it. And so that's what's going to get getting back to meaning. That you can't find meaning in life apart from paying attention. Apart from being engaged and being present um so we'll, i'll be honest with you i think this is some some really i've been mulling over this for a long time and i don't know exactly how to i'm just going to kind of toss through this and get you guys thoughts i think there's a lot of stuff in here that comes back to just being candid as a southern baptist kid which is what i was um I'm like, oh, I don't know exactly how to navigate this because there's there's some thought processes that come up to meaning um, that we'll kind of jump into it. I firmly, I really believe that it comes back to the nature of how God is and how he created the order of this world, but I'm still trying to, to navigate it myself. Um, I think we often think in terms of good and evil. So the, this is the third component, meaning. We think in terms of good and evil, which there is a complete component to that, but... We all remember the story of the garden. It's not about doing what is good versus doing what is evil. It's about being dependent on God or independent from God. You guys with me on this, right? This is the story of the human nature. It's not a good nature versus a bad nature as much as it is a a rebellious nature versus a dependent nature. And that speaks to the reality of the thought process of rather than it being fundamentally good versus evil in life, it's actually chaos versus order. But there is a chaos within which we live that lives in conjunction with order. You guys with me on how this works, right? And chaos is the monster that thumps in the night. Chaos is the darkness out there. Chaos is the thing 
that steals, kills, and destroys. It's the unknown. It's the uncertain. It's the snake in the garden. Order is wholeness. It is light. It is life. It is hierarchy. It is structure. It is purpose. It is intent. It is what is known. Not what is unknown, but what is known. Now, what's interesting is why there's not a good versus evil as the same of, well, chaos is bad and order is good. Well, actually, order has a capacity to be bad. Order, taken to an nth degree, is totalitarianism, is dictatorship, is domination, and we see that. Chaos, taken to the nth degree, is nihilism, it's anarchy, it's the loss of all, all restraint, right? And so basically there's this reality, and, and again, this is where it gets kind of, what I want you to understand when I'm talking about this, this is not, as I'm unraveling this, this is not talking about a Religion. This is a little bit more about the philosophy, the Taoist philosophy of the yin and the yang, right? So there's this reality that there is a chaos, which is the black side of the snake head, that is an eternal presence, always juxtaposed against the yang of order. There's chaos and there's order. And then there's a black dot of chaos inside that white sphere of order, which means that no matter how good things are, there's always a moment that the rug can be pulled out from underneath you, right? And there's that light, that white dot inside the chaos, which means that no matter how bad it is, there's always hope that order can be brought to it. And again, this is a Taoist philosophical way of thinking, but I think this dovetails directly within what creates purpose and meaningfulness in life for us is that it's not about becoming fully focused on order. It's not about diving fully into chaos. We know that the nth degree of both of those things is destruction and evil. The most important is to stay the line between those two, which is having one foot firmly rooted in order and one hand firmly reached into chaos. And we're going to describe what this looks like with the nature of the gospel. Okay? So, this is why there's a triune God. And by definition, triune means you've got a father, you've got a son, and a Holy Spirit. And if you're talking, I mean, existentially, I'm not talking about like 1800s. I'm talking about since time immemorial, since time began. The chaos has always symbolically been female. Okay? And I'm, I know, right? Here goes my wife. She's like, er-herm, you darn right it is. <laughs> The chaos has always been symbolically female. It's that from which all things are birthed. Every single thing is birthed from chaos into order. It's mother nature, right? And it's this reality that this, this unknown woman, that's the thing about guys, it's, it's walking into the unknown and, and unearthing and discovering and, and, and treasuring that which is unknown. You guys with me on this, right? And then masculine has always been aligned with order, okay? And that's where you get to the nth degree, unfortunately, hierarchical, Law. This is how it is. This is how it should be. If you look at the nature of God, you have a father who is the king, who is the authority, who is in control and say, this is the way that you should go. Walk in it, right? But then you also have a Holy Spirit, which has always symbolically been more feminine. And again, if you get back to Genesis 1.17, it says... They were created in his image, in male and female. He created them in his image, right? The nature of God is not explicitly masculine. It is some amalgam of both. But the Holy Spirit, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he's saying, hey, when you're talking about the Holy Spirit, you can't say, you say the wind blows and nobody knows where it's going or where it's coming from. It's, it's unknown, but it's powerful. And that's where when, we're, when you're looking at Jesus and the nature of God, it's not about going off into one side of fully trying to find full meaning and safety because we as people have a propensity to find ourselves in things that are safe and things that are secure and things that are stable and things that are consistent. And we often like to find ourselves inside the structure of order. You guys with me on this, right? And basically the thought process is that meaning cannot be found solely inside of order. You have to straddle the, the line of order and step into chaos for meaning to be found in your existence. And how does this look? It comes back to the nature of Jesus. Jesus said, I don't do anything but what I see the Father do. That's the order coming in. Jesus walked by the Holy Spirit. That's the 
stepping into the chaos. And this is this, if you're talking about basically the eye inside the darkness, it gets back to Isaiah 9, 2. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. John 1 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So a couple of statements about this. We're creatures of habit, we crave control and security. But unfortunately, order becomes tyranny and chaos becomes anarchy. When life reveals itself as intense. And gripping. This is what Jordan Peterson said. When life reveals itself as intense, gripping, and meaningful, it is there and then that you are located precisely on the border between order and chaos. When you have positioned yourself where the terror of existence is under control and you are secure, but you are also alert and engaged, you find meaning. And what we're going to focus on here is this understanding that we are called, he was calling us the church up there. You guys know what the Greek reference, ekklesia, Kaleo means called out. I'm sorry, called. Ek means out. We are literally the ecclesia. If we are the church, that means we are called out. Those who have been in darkness have seen a great light. We are called to go from the kingdom of light and step into the kingdom of darkness because we cannot rescue the lost in the darkness from the sanctuary of light. We have to be able to step into the darkness to bring that light where it can be said of us that those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. This Isaiah 61, that I have come to give light to the blind. And this last story from a good friend of mine, a guy named Grant. He was a vice cop um, and he was a detective in Irving. And when he was on vice, he told me a couple of stories of well, he told me one story that stuck with me, that they did a bust on a guy who was heavily involved in uh, child pornography and pedophilia, right? So they bust his house, go in, take him down, and he has to be the guy who goes through the computer and make sure that they get all the evidence, and it's not just unidentified crime, it's people that are known, right, and stuff. And you're sitting there saying, this is the heinousness of chaos, and yet... We need someone to go or else there will not be order called into that chaos. Unless he goes and does that, that perpetuates on. And yet he has to engage that darkness on its terms and not be sullied by it. You guys with me on this? And the thought process that I had is there's nothing I would ever want to have to do. And I'm so thankful that somebody is actually doing that. That apart from that light stepping through a person into darkness, we cannot shape chaos and rescue people and transform them into a kingdom of life. Now, that being said, this is not good versus evil, right? Because a good versus evil statement would be, hey, go and kind of do evil stuff so that you can become friends. This is not about good and evil kind of becoming a little evil so that people like you. This is about chaos and order. This is stepping into the brokenness that has no hope. Sheep that are lost without a shepherd. And stepping into that existence and saying, I take upon myself the reality of your state so that you can see that someone in this state has hope because of what the gospel means. This Matthew 28, 18, and 19, the Great Commission. Jesus says, go into all nations. That's chaos. That's uncertainty. You're going into places that people don't want you. They'll have different ways to eat. Maybe they have different ways of eating me, right? There's all this uncertainty attached to going. That's chaos. And make disciples, teaching them. All that I've commanded you. Well, that's order. What you're doing is you have one foot firmly rooted in the order of God's stated graces. This is how you should go. Walk into it. And you're bringing that order into the chaos of darkness. And he says, I am with you always. You're never untethered 
you're always that light shining in that darkness, that white showing the black that there is hope, there is order, and there is purpose found in Jesus Christ and in His Holy Spirit alone. This last thought here, and then I'll ask your thoughts when we'll be done. So how do we do this now in finding meaning? The only way that we effectively straddle order and chaos is to pay attention and hear the Holy Spirit. Understand that God has shown us. He's shown you, oh man, what's good and what's required of you. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with Him. That's the order side. He's given us a place of security. My peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. I'm not going to pull it back. We've got this order, but we have to be tethered to that order, that security, that peace, that reality of making disciples and step into the chaos. What does that look like? I don't know. Just pay attention. That might be at the gas station when you're filling up today. Somebody comes up and asks you for a buck that you're stepping into chaos. It's not that you go whole hog into it and run willy-nilly. It's that you realize you're tethered to the good king who's given you order that you can bring into somebody else's life and their existence. Isaiah 43.1 Thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'll give Egypt as your ransom and Cush in exchange for you because you're precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you and peoples in exchange for your life. I think this is the... This is the word of God to you today. Hey, you're going to step out into chaos and you're going to face rushing, raging waters. You're going to step into fire. It's okay. The waters will not overwhelm you. The fires will not burn you. You can know that as you respond in faith, by being present and responding to the Holy Spirit, that I will give people in exchange for your life. And that is what defines meaning in the existence that we call humanity. So any thoughts about that as we wrap up and get out of here? airplane fly over right now and let me know (laughs) or or I don't want to be looked like a fool right yeah for sure especially in our culture being perceived as foolish it's a big one but I also think a big part of what you've been talking or I appreciate so much that nothing that's ever been said is going in with any sort of judgment and I think that's the that's the key when you're looking at this order and chaos is we're not called to go in and say, let me, mm-hmm. you're doing all of this wrong. Yeah. Let, let me, fix, let me yeah. fix you. You're there to lead by the example of your life mm-hmm. and to draw them in, not to. Yeah. Well, I think Ryan said it today. He's like, you were evil at one point. Like, you were not saved at one point. And, yeah. you know, in Romans, he talks about, he's like, the only righteousness is, is what Jesus has done for me. nothing that I have for myself and so I think when even the ability to take order into chaos is not of our own self it is of the righteousness that we have been given by the cross and I think that I think it's so true what Aaron said is it's not out of and I think that that is, is the biggest, one of the biggest struggles coming from a religious place is I have it and you don't. Yeah. And I think that's 
been so much of what has given the church a bad name. Um, and so I think just reshaping our perspective of, yes, we have learned of the goodness of God and tasted it for ourselves because we were broken and still and still are working out our salvation as we come into the chaos. I mean, I've, this conversation I'm going to have to have with my son, I've texted something that was offhand and not nice about him to a friend, and he saw it and broke his heart. <laughs> I like really killed it this week in mothering. I just want y'all to know. <laughs> James last night was like, man, you've like really thrown the ball this week. <laughs> <laughs> you took four hours off. I did. I did. <laughs> no, no, this was not me like initiating. She was like, I've really done it. I was like, yeah, it's been a rough week. Right. <laughs> I think I think the topper offer was when we had only four cookies and one of our kids was spending a night with somebody else. And so her and I and our daughter had a cookie and our boy was back in his room. And then she comes back. She's like, hey. There's only one cookie left. Keller doesn't know we have cookies. How about you and I share it? Which I was like, it was like Adam and the apple, right? I was like, and, and, and Adam take and he ate of it as well. And sure enough, he found out in hysterical crying and like, you know. Anyways, so. so I Oh, Randy. <laughs> um, I've been, I was told early in my, my career in journalism and marketing that like a story is the most compelling way you can get a message across and you can teach somebody something and you know, the Bible's full of stories. And hearing you say this as well, it's just funny that God made us the way he made us to be compelled by stories because that's the nature of mm-hmm. him, this fight between the order and the chaos. So mm-hmm. kind of yeah, that's really good. And I think that, again, that last little statement, that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What defines light to people is not the four spiritual laws, but one story of, a story of you as a beggar finding food and showing another beggar where to find it. You know, that's really the power of your testimony that's going to transform darkness, chaos, into order. So, all right, let's bring it out of here.